I was listening to this talk about culture in Japan recently. That now as a society, you know, we t talk about hard work and everything, but it's, it's actually a thing to prove how hard a worker you are that you literally exhaust yourself. Then it's commendable. That you can't even get up. That you're so worn and you're so frazzled. You know, it kind of reminds me of, of like, in an extreme way, the, on the other end, the Bushido Code, which is, you know, to be militant and, and military and, tr and so forth and treat your enemy in a very dehumanizing and, and kind of way, but even treating yourself in that way. Now, now, I'm not against working well and working good, but I don't think the goal was meant to kill us, to, to almost like have pride that we become so frazzled that we can't live as human beings. And yet, if, if the goal is to be corporately well-off and so on and so forth, we can see that. What is the goal? What, is what, what defines us? What defines us? And the world says all these other things define us. But the salt comes from seeing that we are defined. The light comes from God himself. That what defines us, nothing else will give us light. Nothing else will give us light but God himself. And so when we go out into the world, we're not going into necessarily places of total darkness, but where there's embers that simply the breath of God needs to breathe on them. To breathe on them. But he has to breathe on us. We let him, church is the place where we, we get refueled, as it were, that we get refreshed, that we get a fresh breath of God. So we can go out and see that reality out there. And that's very difficult in a world that sees everything in, in total black and white terms. Very difficult. But again, we are light. And we're to put it on a lampstand, not under a bushel, not under some place where it's hidden just for us. So we can live our own little culture and life isolated from the rest of the world around us and have nothing to do with them. Now, that's one thing to do it because of prayer and a life of prayer, like, like in monastic circles. But the idea, too, in the East, that it meant that somewhere it would spill out, always spill out into the world and integrate and bring people, like monastics, bring people to the Lord without necessarily that they'd have to become monastics. that just like Gentiles in the, in the book of Acts, they could come now and become grafted onto Israel without necessarily having to become ethnically Jewish. That the light is there for them. And the light was there. If you read Acts 17, when Paul talks to the Athenians, he's talking to them, he talks about that he's near to the God that you un do not know, the unknown God, is near to each of us. And again, from the Jewish mindset, no human being would live without the Spirit of God there, somehow present, animating their, their life and existence. So, we look at that reality and say, is the fire here among us? Is, is there a salt? Is there, you know, because a lot of times in churches, it's like you go to church just to get your needs met in some kind of a loose fashion, just a little spiritual input or, or, or some nice moral things to, to listen to and, 
and so forth. And I always tell people the goal of Christianity is not morality. The goal of Christianity is to become one with God. To, as St. Peter says, be a partaker of the divine life. And to be the presence of Christ extended into the world around us. And that's why the idea of Jesus being fully human and divine is important. It's not just because of some kind of a theological, academic uh, correctness, but the fact of trying to speak and be an icon of a reality that we are participating in and participates in us, that the light comes to us to burn in us, to burn away our ego-centeredness, to burn away our fears, to burn away the places and give light to where we're blind, where we're blind in a world that encourages us to be narcissistic. Just look out for number one. And how we do this in a sober way, and I think that's part of the idea of light, because if a place is dark, we stumble, kind of like a drunkard. Like a drunkard. But God wants us to be sober, to be adults, not children, blown around by every wind of whatever and so forth. And we know this. We know this. that Even in, in, in the pop Christian world, there's all kinds of things being taught as essential and, and at, at best they're peripheral theories, at best. And we've lost the essentials. We're more busy concerned about folding the napkin than saying, what, what is the food? How is it cooked? What does it taste like? What is the nutritional value of what we're eating? And this is where we get into fights about other things. And, and Paul's little thing to Titus here. You know, to avoid stupid controversies, genealogies, discussions, quarrels about this and that and the unprofitable. They're unprofitable and worthless. What rapture? Who cares? All these kind of things that are, just have been developed in the last couple of centuries in the Western Hemisphere, not, the, not from the, the root of where Jesus and the apostles come from, But recent things, instead of being concerned about the essentials of what it means to, to know, understand, and reflect the reality of Christ among us. The Spirit he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, having been made righteous by his grace that we may become heirs of the hope of eternal life. The saying is sure. And I insist, I desire that you insist on these things that those who have come to believe in God may be careful to devote themselves, therefore, to good works. These ec things are excellent and profitable to everyone. Again, and, after, and if somebody's going to, you know, don't put up with somebody who's going to just care about those things. How to be a light. How to be a light. Don't get caught up in stuff. How people go crazy over politics and just, they, just absorbs them. You wouldn't know they were Christian. You, would, you may know what political party they are, but it doesn't necessarily say they are Christian. And the richness of this life is even made in terms of the sacrifices. And that's the thing I'm going to start to wrap up with because, you know, yesterday was the feast of St. Julita and her son, Kiriko, so I'm not going to go into her story. She's very special to me because, uh, this is a sidebar, when we consecrated our church in, in Denver, one of the relics, because you know this, we put relics into the holy table, pieces of the bones of, of saints and so forth, reflective of how in the early 
church, often in the catacombs, they would use the sarcophagi of Christians to be the holy table upon which they celebrated the Eucharist. Very powerful image. And one of the relics that went into the holy table at St. Catherine's, where I was, was St. Kirikos, a three-year-old boy. And the martyr show was the richness, that they, they're dying for richness, for, for light, for salt, for, for, for not some kind of a wimpy, you know, kind of like whatever Hollywood or Madison Avenue thinks is important at the moment, but for something that is eternal and real. That it's about the quality of life, not the quantity, as we see in a world that says the one that dies with the most toys wins. To shed light, to shed light, that we can clean out our own houses in a way to let more light come in instead of piling it up with all kinds of junk spiritually and other, other ways. To see it for what it is and, and to have it removed so the light can come in clearly and the, the breath of God can sweep over us and cast out the cobwebs and dust and, and all the things that are not essential to what it means. And, and the essentials are the fullness. It's not, it's not like a reductionism, like a lot of Christians think. <laughs> I remember, and I won't say who, but when we were looking for a place to, after uh, the place we were renting, uh, the company fell through, and we had to leave or buy the whole building, which was like 20,000 square feet or whatever. And we were asking some churches in the area if we could use some of their space. And at one church, we were actually told, because we have, you know, imagine setting up and taking down the icons and everything every, every Sunday, which was what we were doing for a while. And the pastor actually saying to somebody from the church that was asking if we could use some of their space, you know, if you didn't have to bring all that junk around with icons and stuff like that and just focus on the gospel, everything would be better. That's the Christianity we have in America. But the reality is, is a fuller picture. Another bland meat, just throw a slab of meat at somebody. Not even meat, throw a piece of bologna and convince them this is like steak. But that's what the world is hungering for, is the, the reality. Something that has nutrition, that you can taste, that you can see, that you can see. Because in the darkness, we can be made to be fed anything and think, and just, oh no, I know it tastes like paper, but it really isn't paper, it's actually, it's actually a piece of roast beef. And we go along with it after a while. Especially if we've never tasted meat for real. So may God bless us to have a deeper taste in order to share that with the world around us and be a place where people can come and taste and see. Come and see. Come and see. Not that we're perfect, but that we're trying to see the light and let the light be seen. Maybe that's the way to put it. It's not that we, we make the light, 
but we're trying to get out of the way so the light can be seen, that nothing blocks, that there's not the junk around, the, the real junk. The junk that says you need big guitars and a stage and a smoke unit and, and blah, 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 blah. And if you're not jumping up and down, then the Holy Spirit must not be there. But a sober Christianity that has light, not strobes, but real light.